it is one of those days. Maybe we should take time to pray. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous today. We are in Colossians chapter 3, at the end of Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, into Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. We're working our way through Colossians, which focuses on Christ. And uh, as Monday morning as I got up, one of the first texts that I got was from Kirby asking what my text was this week and what my title was. And I told him, I said, well, here's my text. I don't set my, I don't normally get my title set until I finish cleaning up my sermon. I said, uh, uh, but here's a few thoughts. And he, he reached back out to me and he, he picked the title for today's message. The title that he chose though was K Obey Kirby. I told him, I said, well, what do you think K thinks about that? He said, it doesn't matter. I'm the ordained minister of God. I get to pick. This is that, that passage where Paul deals with issues within the family, and it's often referred to as the family code. And so uh, Paul is going to address relationships between husbands and wives, children and parents, and then slaves and masters, which was a huge part of the organic family system uh, in the Roman world to which Paul was writing. And we're going we're gonna to address that a little bit as best we can as we walk through this. Uh, Paul, let me just throw it out there, Paul is not endorsing slavery, and in fact, uh, when you dig into what was going on behind the scenes in the culture and how Paul addressed slaves, you'll see that Paul gave more value uh, to slaves than, than would have ever been given in his culture to the person, to the individual is what I'm talking about, and it, it, also in the way that he addressed uh, wives in the relationship with husbands. Paul also, in fact, in all three of what you would refer to as the uh, in these pairs, the, the subservient relationship, a parent to child, even as he addresses children, he places more value on children than what would have been placed in the culture because of Christ and how God through Christ has shown value to every single individual on the face of the earth. And so uh, we're going to, that mic is going to drive me nuts. It's going to be in my way. There you go. I'm done with that. We're, so let's, uh, let me lead us in a word of prayer. I know Kirby already prayed for me. Uh, let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll dig into this text. Father, we thank you for your word. And we know that as Paul wrote these letters, uh, these letters were written in, in, through the power and the, and the work of your Holy Spirit through him. And you have truths that apply to us. Even today, when we look at this text, and we don't deal with slavery in, in our culture, and yet there's a reason that you preserve these words for us to understand and to learn. Now, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit open the, our eyes and open the eyes of our hearts, not just to understand in our head, but Lord, to, to be transformed in our heart, that we might become closer to you through the study of your word, every bit of it. Lord, as we, uh, as we work through this text in Colossians, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me set the scene because you remember Colossians uh, chapter 3 coming into this point and, and Colossians 2 before it is elevating Christ. You have that incredible hymn about Christ back in Colossians chapter 2 that builds him up and lifts him up. And then in Colossians chapter 3, Paul basically is saying in light of that and in light of who Jesus is, there are some things that you need to get rid of out of your life. 
uh, put to death what belongs to the things of the flesh, put to death the things that belong to this earth. And so he, he as after he's elevated and celebrated and, and helped us understand who Jesus is, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, that Christ is the one who died on a cross, that we could have this new life. After he, he does all of that teaching about Jesus, he gets into how does that impact your life and my life? Well, individually, then, he starts out by talking about what we need to get rid of out of our lives, to put off everything else and die to the things of this world and surrender our life over to Christ to follow him. Last week, we got into then what we put on. After you've surrendered your life to Christ and and you have laid your life down before him, there's some things that are going to be different in your life. They're going to be transformed as Christ works in you and through you. Uh, I was encouraged this week. And some of y'all saw, I put this out there, the, uh, my new favorite uh, college team, and this is really hard for me to say, is the Oklahoma Sooner girls softball team. Uh, not because I, uh, I just have a hard time saying, I don't know if I can say it. How do you say that? Boom. Yeah, see, I know what it is. I just can't say boomer sooner. That, that, it, it just comes out hook em horns every time. It comes out like that. But these girls were interviewed on ESPN before they won the national championship. It was, they were at the College World Series, and the, the reporter asked them how they continue to walk in joy. How, how do you find joy in all the struggles of a long toil, uh, toiling season and all the difficulty? And all three of those girls pointed to Jesus. And, and one of them in particular said that softball is not our life. Whether we win, win the trophy at the end of this or not, it's not going to change our joy because we don't find our joy in softball. We worked our tails off and we want to win, but our life is in Christ. And I'm going, yes, Colossians 3, your life is in Christ so through the ups and downs, the, 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 the challenges and the difficulties, if your life is rooted in Christ, you can find joy that, that goes much deeper and extends much further than circumstances. In fact, one of the girls defined that, that happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Your joy is dependent upon whether or not you're connected to Christ. And so we've talked about that. He Last week in verses 12 down through verse 17, the focus was to to put on Christ, let, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, that you're so connected to Christ that kindness and compassion and love and humility and gentleness and patience, all of these things come out of your life because you're connected to Christ. And then he summarized it, kind of that thought in verse 17, and this, this summary leads to the entry into what's next. He summarized it with this, whatever you do in word or in deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so that's verse 17. That's he 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 has talked to us individually about how this life has to be lived out. It's lived out through a sacrifice sacrifice, surrendering your life to Christ, allowing Christ and his spirit to fill you with him. Therefore, whatever you do, whatever whatever in in word, your mouth, whatever out of your life. Do it to the glory of God. Do it in his name. Now, Paul's going to get down to the nitty-gritty. Somebody accused me last week of stepping on toes. Paul starts stepping on toes in verse 18. Because here's what's going to happen. He's going to say, 
I've given you the overall picture, and everybody's pretty good about saying, okay, I need to surrender to Christ. I need to live my life for him. I need to live, let Christ live his life out through me. And now Paul's going to say, okay, when you go home and you're home alone with your spouse, you need to let Jesus rule over your relationship with your spouse. When, when you go to work, you need to let Christ rule in your relationship with your and he, we're going to talk about this in a moment. He's talking to, to domestic slaves who live in the household. Probably the best application for us is, is we're in an employee-employer relationship that this, will, this fits. When you go home, kids, obey your parents. Parents, when you go home, treat your kids in a way that glorifies Christ. Let Christ rule in the most intimate of relationships. So let's walk through that. We're going to do this two ways today, and I'm glad Kirby gave me some extra time. Uh, that's a good thing about doing those hymns. Well, you went through them quick, so I can preach for almost an hour. Right, Kirby? <laughs> We're going to look at this two ways. First of all, there's three specific family dynamics in this text. Let's read the text, and then we'll look at those, those three specific family dynamics, ask some questions about that, point out some things about that, and then we're going to look at some principles that come out of this text. The Scripture says there, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but wholeheartedly, work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something that is done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Not, don't miss that sentence. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Just reading that text in our culture gets people's hackles up. And, and in all honesty, across the board, uh, we, 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 we want to immediately try to look for ways out, explain ourselves out of the, the, the truth of God's word here. But the best thing for us to do instead of asking God's word to submit to our cultural sense or our cultural norms is for us to submit to God's word, rightly understanding God's word in this culture and in the text and then how it applies to our lives and our culture. So the first command, he's going to deal with the, 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 this first pairing, uh, the most important relationship within a family, within a home. In fact, I, I'll argue it's the most important relationship within any fi family dynamic, and it is the most important relationship within a church, and it's the most re important relationship within our culture and it's the most important relationship in God's creation because God created it that way. He created it first when he created man, male and female. And we studied Genesis chapter one earlier this year. And so we're not gonna walk through that dynamic, but God created 
men and women and caused them to be created differently. He, he gave us different strengths and different weaknesses, both different physical strengths and physical weaknesses, different uh, emotional strengths, uh, different mental strengths. God created men and women differently. And he's called them to come together in a union that is the foundation of the family, that is the foundation of any culture. And so the first pairing that, that Paul is going to address here is how husbands and wives relate within the family. Now, keep this in this big picture and, 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 and realize this. Paul is, has talked about this, all of this, these glorious principles of who Christ is and then how Christ is to transform every one of us individually. The first thing that he's going to address is how it makes a difference in our relationship in marriage between husband and wife because that's at the center. It's the most intimate relationship that you and I will ever have in this world, and it's at the center of who we are. And if we are not not functioning according to Christ in that marriage relationship, everything that emanates outside of that is going to be broken. You cannot have godly, God-ordained, healthy relationships elsewhere if you're not taking care of things at the center, at the core, which is between a husband and a wife. And he starts by simply saying, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because an entire uh, a week of sermons could be preached dealing with this issue and how the husband ought to treat his wife. You can look in Ephesians chapter 5 and see where Paul fleshes that out a little bit more thoroughly. Or you could come to one of our marriage conferences where we spend all weekend talking about it. Uh, between a husband and wife, and in, in his command to the husband, he says here, husbands, love your wives. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He expounds on that a little bit so that so that your wives and, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and don't be bitter toward them. So he's talking to the husband and wife here and there's he, he immediately recognizes the fact that God created men and women uniquely and differently. We have different needs. We have different desires. And I've already said we have different strengths and weaknesses. One of the most important things for a uh, wife to treat her husband with respect and with honor is to understand the needs of her husband and make it her goal to meet his needs. One of the most important jobs for every husband is to understand his wife's needs and her desires and make it his goal to meet her needs and her desires. And, and neither one of them rises to a level of importance above the others. My job as a spouse is to love and encourage and build up and protect and provide and take care of the needs of the, the person, the wife that God has put into my life in, to take care of Susan, that, that we might have a healthy functioning marriage. And God has given her the, the responsibility of meeting my needs. That's what love is. Love is me surrendering myself, even when I don't feel like it, to take care of her. Love for her is her setting aside what she wants to do sometimes to take care of me. 
that's that's true love. The, the love is the essence of submission and surrender. This is not the only place that the word submission is used. And in fact, in, in 1 Peter, when Peter addresses the family code, he uses the idea of mutual submission, that, that husbands are to submit in some ways to their wives. Now, ultimately, Paul addresses it here for a reason, because the, the one who's going to be held responsible for the, the health of the family by God is first going to be the husband. God has called men to lead their families spiritually. And the, the men in our, in our homes hold the highest level of responsibility in that area. And so ultimately, this is not a blank check that husbands can demand whatever they want and the wives have to submit to it. That's not what Paul's talking about here. But in a godly home, the, the, the position that the the wife is supposed to take is to look to the husband for leadership and the position the husband is supposed to take is to surrender his life, to love his wife, even if he has to give up his life for her. That's what it means to love as Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church. Peter, I mean, Jesus himself said there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Husbands should be walking with Christ to such an extent that we would lay down our lives for our wives. Now, here's one of the struggles we have. I think a lot of us men would say, yeah, I'll lay down my, my, my life for my wife. If, a, if an intruder comes in our home, I'll, I'll do everything I can to attack that intruder. But will you lay down your desires, your wishes, what you want for dinner tonight to help your wife, to surrender to her? Wives, will you set aside your struggles tonight, today, to help meet the needs of your husband? Wives are called to submit. Husbands are called to love on the level that Christ loved. And ultimately, when we walk in that kind of pairing, what you're going to find is everybody's needs in the home, in the relationship, are being met but they're being met in God's way. Instead of me going into marriage trying to see what I can get out of marriage and manipulating my wife to get what I can, what I need to do is go into the, the marriage in such a way that I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is it that she needs and how can I meet her needs. Husbands, let me give you a little, like I've been married 36 years. And I believe I have an incredible marriage, mainly because Susan's such an awesome wife. Y'all, those of you that have known us for 18 years, we've been pastoring this church half of our marriage, Susan. I didn't realize that. We've been here a long time. So y'all know, you've seen us. Uh, you've seen my strengths and weaknesses. and You've seen Susan's strengths. There's not a lot of weakness there. I forgot my direction, where I was headed. Sorry about that. Ultimately, uh, we're going to have a healthy, fulfilling marriage when we make it our desire to love and encourage the other person and put them first. That's the bottom line. Children, Paul says, obey your parents. He doesn't give you an out. Ultimately, there's to be submission from children to their parents. They're supposed to respect and honor, but to obey their parents. And parents, in particular, it's interesting here, when Paul addresses the, the, parent, the parental part of this relationship, he speaks directly to fathers. Because fathers are the ones who can cause aggravation. Far too, no, Pete, I didn't look at you on purpose. Fathers are the, are the ones that, uh, that can sometimes aggravate and exasperate 
their kids to the extent that they become discouraged and they give up. And, and in a lot of ways, this has to do with how we discipline and how we, we expect uh, our children to, to respect and to follow the rules because an overbearing father can drive a child to be discouraged and to give up. And so Paul gives this warning that children are to obey their parents and fathers are to take care of uh, their, their kids. The fathers don't exasperate your children so they don't become discouraged. That requires a love and a care and a discipline that is measured, that is not beyond the pale. And then you come to the third pairing in this family code, and it's slaves and masters. Within the Roman household, in fact, many historians believe that there were actually more household slaves in the Roman culture than there were free men in the Roman culture. So when Paul writes to a Roman household about how how one is supposed to act within that, that dynamic, he has to address this issue of the master and the slave. Now, if you wonder about Paul's understanding of slavery, this letter needs to be companion or, or, or paired with the book of Philemon. Philemon is a letter that Paul wrote to one of the men in, in this area. Philemon was the re recipient of the letter who owned a slave named o Onesimus. We preached on this last year, so we're not going to get all the way back into it, but Onesimus had, had run away. He was a runaway slave, but he had ended up in Rome and met Paul, and Paul led him to Christ. And so you have a household slave who had run away. He comes to Paul. Paul leads him to Christ. Paul knows Philemon. This letter, the letter to the Colossians, and the letter to the Ephesians that we're studying in our growth groups, and the letter to Philemon, most scholars believe were all hand-delivered from Paul back to the Laodicean Valley where Ephesus and Colossae, the churches were, and where Philemon uh, lived as a part of one of those churches. And so you have to, when, you, when you're looking at Paul, when he writes about slavery here and in other places, keep in mind what he told Philemon. And without going all the way through Philemon, Paul told Philemon, who was the slave owner, that he needed to receive Onesimus back, not treat him harshly for fleeing, and receive him back as a brother in Christ, not a slave. Because God had transformed his heart and changed his relationship. Onesimus was coming back in a humble spirit to submit to his duties to do what he needed to do for what he owed Philemon. But understand, in this, this, the kind of slavery that's going on in the, in the household here is a whole lot different than what, was, what we think of as slavery when we see the old movies from uh, uh, our culture going back into the 17 and 1800s where, where African slaves were being sold in the marketplace and were being beaten and were being treated like property. Now, the Roman culture still had this mentality that that slave was an animate property. That's one of the words that, uh, that Aristotle used. They were an animate property of the slave owner. And at least Aristotle said that a few hundred years before Paul. And that mindset probably prevailed within the Roman culture. But it's not still not the same as the type of slavery that we think of in the early part of, of our nation's history and in a whole lot of other places around the world even today. 
it, it equated a whole lot more closely to what would be employer-employee relationships. There wasn't a freedom to escape out of it, but a lot of us uh, in our culture don't feel like we can leave our bosses either. Like We feel like we're, we're dependent upon those checks and those salaries. Ultimately, one of the, the, the tells here is, first of all, how Paul treated Onesimus and how he commanded that Philemon treat Onesimus, but it's even the fact that Paul addresses the slaves in this text. Because in this text, he's not treating them as unthinking property. He's writing to these Christian brothers, hear that, these servants in these households who had accepted Christ and become brothers and sisters in Christ, though they lived in the household under the authority of that household as a slave, and he writes to them about how they are to serve the Lord and how they're to serve their master in those circumstances. So a lot of that I say to, to help you understand that Paul does not endorse slavery, certainly not the kind of slavery that we think of when we think of slavery in, 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 in our cultures today, but Paul is addressing how we ought to work and how we ought to serve those who are placed in a position of authority over us, and he's addressing the authoritarian in how they ought to treat those who serve under them. So with that in mind, look at this Look at the text this way. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. And so if I was to ask you in your place of employment, do you serve, do you work as though you're serving the Lord, or do you work and do you serve only to be a people pleaser when somebody's watching you? The idea here is an issue of the heart that he's addressing to the slave, to the, to the servant in this case. He's asking them to remember that you serve the Lord. He's also asking the masters to remember that they have a master. You may think you're something because you have someone serving under you. And I look at our, our culture now, and when you have CEOs who are uh, uh, making millions and millions of dollars, and they forget those who have helped them get there, those who work for them, who've helped them reach that place. And they're not all like that. Some CEOs remember what it was like because they came from the ground up. Some came from the ground up and forgot what it was like. But ultimately, Paul's command is that those who are in charge, those leaders, remember that we have a master and that we treat everyone who serves under us with respect and justice and fairness. And he uses the words there, justly and fairly. God has, has called us, if you're in a position of authority and you have people working for you, you need to remember that you're not the ultimate one in charge. He's in charge. If you have people working for you, you need to treat them with respect and with love and compassion, and you need to treat them fairly. If you're an employee, you're working for someone who is providing for your needs in this, in, in this circumstance, and these servants in these households would have been receiving a, a, a place to live. They would have been receiving food and clothing from their, their masters. Isn't that what we do when we are employed by somebody? We're receiving a check so that we can eat, so that we can have a roof over our heads, so that we can have transportation. So if you're, if you're serving an employer who is giving you a paycheck, who is paying you for your work, then you ought to serve that, that employer wholeheartedly, not just when they're watching. You ought to do your work, do your job as though you're doing it unto 
the Lord, as though you're serving Christ. And, and I'll assure you that if you'll serve and if you'll work in your job and your employment as though you're serving the Lord wholeheartedly, your employer most likely is going to see that and going to take care of you. And even if your employer doesn't, the Lord will, and he'll repay you. And that's the promise that Paul is making here. Now, I want you to notice something about these instructions before we get away from them. Because it's, it's real easy, and I apologize if I got bogged down in those a little bit too much. It's real easy to get bogged down in some of the details. None of these instructions are conditional. Paul doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands when you feel like it. Husbands, love your wives when they're nice to you, when they're submitting. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, children, obey your parents when you understand your parents' rules. Fathers, don't, don't uh, aggravate your, your sons or your, your children too much. Don't discourage them too much as long as they're, they're good kids and they're obeying the rules. He doesn't give conditions to these texts. And, and let me suggest something here as to why. One of the things that I've learned in 36 years of pastoral ministry, especially in counseling circumstances, is more often than not, a circumstance will come to me, whether it's a, a struggle between husbands and wives, a struggle between children and their parents are not getting along. And what we want to do to fix the situation is, is people want to tell me what the other person's doing wrong and, and help me give them some advice on how they can fix the other person. You realize that you can't fix the other person. All you can do is look to the Lord Trust the Lord, walk in the Lord, and let the Lord fix you. So the command Paul gives is not conditional in any of these cases. You're responsible, and I'm responsible for, I'm responsible for my walk with the Lord. You're responsible for your walk with the Lord. In other places, Scripture will tell us, in fact, he specifically speaks to wives at one point. Paul does and says, look, live your life in front of your husband in such a way that, that he's drawn to the Lord through you. Ultimately, if, if my marriage is going through some struggles, the first place I need to look is right here. I need to look right here. What am I doing? What's going on in my heart? What do I need to change? Because ultimately, I'm not responsible for changing Susan, and I can't change Susan. I'm responsible for how I love her. And if I love her well, most of the time, the Lord's going to move in her that she wants to love me well. Now, I understand that there's always exceptions to the rule, but we can't live by the exceptions. We live by God's direction, right? So employers, care for your employees the way that God would have you do it, even if they're not perfect. Employees, even if you feel like you're being mistreated, serve as though you're serving the Lord. And let the Lord take care of the details. There's out of these six and three pairings, these six different relationships, there's some universal, timeless principles that I want you to see. Now, the first thing that I want you to remember from this, and this is an overarching principle or an overarching thought, every one of these principles, every command that Paul gives, whether it's to the husbands, the wives, the children, the parents, or to the, the employer, employee, slave, master, every command has some connection to Christ. I want you to notice that about this text. 
That shouldn't be surprising because of what we've already seen in Colossians. And so there's there's eight principles here, and really there's kind of bookends. So you, if you looked at my list, you might kind of argue that there's really seven principles, and the first one and the last one are very similar. But when you walk through the text and you look at these commands here, you're going to see all of these principles that are universal and timeless. The first one is this, we need to submit as is fitting to the Lord. Now, that, that principle specifically was addressed to wives in this particular case. But the universal principle from that we see all throughout the New Testament. We are called to humbly submit as is fitting to the Lord. God has called us to be a people who are humble in how we walk in our relationship, but especially as we're called by the Lord. Second, we're to love as Christ loves. Now, verse 19, Paul says, husbands, love your wives. As I told you in the companion letter to this in Ephesians chapter five, Paul reminds us, love your wives as Christ loved the church. God has called us to love as Christ loves. Now remember, these are universal principles that are important in all of our relationships, but they're especially important in the most intimate relationships in our lives. Relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, and even employer-employee. And I wonder about this because in the family code, let me say one other thing here. In the family code, the the household included the, the servants. So they were a part of the household. That's why Paul's including this. When I, when I make that application to an employer-employee relationship, that's outside of the household. I understand that. But, the, but in our culture, where do you spend your time? <laughs> Most of us that are in the work world spend more time at our jobs than we do at home with our families. So ultimately, we kind of end up with a secondary family. So I think that that's one of the reasons I think this is so important for us to get this right. So when we look at application of the overall principles, submit as is fitting to the Lord, Christ loves. Obey as is pleasing to the Lord. Bosses, some of y'all in here run crews. Some of you, you, you're managers. What happens when you have an employee come to you and say, that's not my job? How does that go over in, the, in, in, in your place of employment? Usually not pretty well. In fact, if you have a contract, most of our contracts say in other duties as assigned is listed down there. But regardless of whether that stipulation's in your contract, if your boss has asked you to do something, as long as it's not unethical or illegal, ultimately, if I'm serving him as an employee, then I simply need to do it. I washed a lot of baseboards as a delivery manager of Mr. Gaddy's Pizza because the store manager at the time asked me to. As I did that, I showed myself to be a servant of that was humble. There were others that would say, well, that's not my job. I'm not going to do that. And it didn't go over so well. But ultimately, obey as is pleasing to the Lord. When we obey our spouses, when we obey our leaders, when we obey those who we're under the authority of, we please the Lord. Fourth, 
fear the Lord and don't make it about pleasing people. Here's when he says, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. We ought not be worried as much about what people think as we go about our duties and our jobs and our, our service within our, our households. We ought to be most concerned about what the Lord sees. Here's one of the places that, that I don't know if any other husband has this issue, but, but I'll admit that I do every once in a while. How many of y'all have... Uh, Maybe that one time this month, you came home and you saw dishes in the sink and you opened the dishwasher and there were, it was full of clean dishes and you thought, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to help Susan out. I take all the dishes out of the dishwasher and I put them all up and I take all the dishes in the sink and I put them all in there. And then she comes home and she doesn't notice. And I'm hurt because she didn't even notice. That not only did I put the dishes up, but I also swept the floor. Shouldn't she notice that? Shouldn't she honor me for that? Shouldn't, we show, shouldn't she show me respect for doing, watch it here, her job? Be careful. Now, I, I, I do have a lot of, I, I care a lot about what Susan thinks. But what I should care most about is what the Lord sees. As I serve her, I'm serving the Lord. As, as I serve my employer, I'm serving the Lord. And so my first thought ought to be that I'm being obedient and serving the Lord. I'm more concerned about what he thinks than what anybody else thinks. Principle number five, this goes very closely along with that. You find a little bit in the next verse, serve the Lord from the heart. You're working, it's actually the same verse, you're working wholeheartedly. How many times do we serve just to be seen? How many times do we serve with our whole heart? I remember as a kid, I hated growing okra. I, got, I, I wouldn't even eat okra. I hated growing okra so bad. We, we, we would plant a big garden in our house at home, and when it started getting to, okra took forever to come up. We've, I've talked to you about this because it's, I just remember this and as a as a kid. And I remember during the summer, as long as you kept picking okra, okra would keep growing. You pull I'd have to reach up, pull the stalk down, get the okra off the top, spring back up. It would grow and it would grow more. If you ever quit picking it, it would it would go to seed and it would quit growing. But as long as you kept picking okra, keep growing. But I remember mom during the summer I, making me go out there in the heat of the day, and I'm having to weed the garden, and I'm having to pick okra, and I remember thinking something like, well, I'm going to do it because she told me I had to do it, but I hope that I have a heat stroke out here, and that'll, that'll make her feel it. She'll pay for it then. Now, how stupid is that? Hope I fall down, and I hope I get snake bit. That way, that way mom will feel bad about making me come out and pick this okra. I, my heart was not in it. If we learn to serve wholeheartedly, we'll serve with joy. And if we learn to serve as though we're serving the Lord instead of people, it'll help us to serve wholeheartedly. Principle number uh, six, F, seek your reward from the Lord. Knowing that as we serve, as we serve unto him on this earth, he will reward us. You may not receive all your reward in your time on this earth, but the Lord sees 
and justly rewards. So he, Paul here is writing to the servant saying, knowing that you will receive the award, the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You know, that's one of the places where you see Paul really elevating the household servant of the slave of his day. He's, he understands that the servants, the slaves of his day, who some of the Romans might think were only uh, property, they have an inheritance in Christ. They have an inheritance in the Lord. And we need to remember that even when we feel like a servant of this world or a slave to the employer, we have an inheritance in Christ. We have a reward from the Lord that supersedes anything that this this world can give us. Number seven, what if your employer is not fair? What if your wife doesn't treat you right? What, What if your parents really were scoundrels? You serve as though you're serving the Lord. You submit as you're being called to submit by the Lord and trust him with the results. Trust him to to bring justice. Trust him to bring fairness. Trust the Lord. And then finally, as he tells the the masters here in in this relationship between the household servants and the masters, in verse chapter four, verse one, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you have a master in heaven. So even if you think you're something on this earth. If you're some type of ruler, you're some type of leader, you're some type of master in this world, remember that you still have a master in heaven. Serve as though you're serving your master. Submit, lead as though you're serving your master who is the Lord. Let me review these real quick because there's a theme that I'm afraid we missed as we went through them one by one. Submit it as fitting to the Lord. Love is Christ's love's. Obey is pleasing to the Lord. Fear the Lord, not people. Serve the Lord. Seek your reward from the Lord. Trust the Lord for justice and submit to the Lord as your master. Do you hear a theme? Even in Paul's household code here, who it is that we're to keep our eyes fixed upon and who it is that we're supposed to serve. We are called to submit to and to serve the Lord. In every aspect of every one of our relationships, it's about Christ. It's about keeping our eyes fixed on him, about serving him. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch that video from from ESPN, those three minutes of those girls from the OU softball team. There was one other illustration I wanted to use from them because they talked about one of the girls in particular pointed out that they have a thing. She said, we have a thing that you'll see us do where we go like this. And she says, it's a reminder, regardless of what happens, to keep our eyes on the Lord. They call it eyes up. Keep your eyes on the Lord. In your relationship with your husband, in your relationship with your wife, in your relationship with your children, with your parents, in your relationship with your employer or your employees, in all those relationships, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. How you serve, how you love, how you care for, how you submit to, how you, how you work. In all of those relationships, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because ultimately he is the Lord. He is my master. He's the one I serve. If I don't love Susan well, I'm going to be held accountable by Christ. Christ. 
if I'm going to love her well, it's going to be because he's empowered me to love her well. It really is all about him. And that's why Paul says a few verses back, Christ is your life. So if we're going to live a life that's surrendered to Christ, if we're going to live a life that's pleasing to him, if we're going to live, live a life that lifts up his name in everything that we do in word or in deed, we're going to live it out first and foremost in our marriages, in our homes, in our place of employment where we spend the majority of our time. You can't just live out the Christ life in church or on a mission trip or at a camp or to worship service. If you're gonna live out the Christ life, it's gonna be lived out where you spend your time, in your family, in your marriage, and at your place of work where you serve. And so it's gotta be, once again, all about Christ. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.